0: Hello everyone, I'm Kate Bullen-Casanova and welcome to the very first episode of the Future Feminist Podcast. This is a space for conversations with parents, teachers, friends and extended families in all diversities. This week I chat with Elizabeth and Russell Rhodes of Portland, Oregon. We talk about feminist parenting, engaging boys and men in the fight for equality, life in the US during the Trump administration and of course Elizabeth's new book, feminism is for boys it takes a village to raise a feminist child so welcome to the village friends enjoy
1: I wanted to start um, obviously I we found each other through Instagram so Elizabeth is on there as feminism is for boys but if somebody who hasn't come across you yet if you just wanted to introduce yourself
2: sure so I'm Elizabeth Rhodes, and I am a graphic designer. Um, I'm living in Portland, Oregon, and um, I work at a company who makes drawing tablets for artists and designers. I really love uh, doing illustration, it's one of my passions. Um, Yeah, and then this is my husband, Russell Rhodes, and, You can go ahead and maybe introduce yourself.
3: I'm a caregiver for a young man who has autism. Um, I am, uh, I wait tables, I DJ, uh, but mostly I just work with uh, people who have uh, disabilities um, and take care of my beautiful daughter.
1: And we were just saying before we started recording that um, your daughter is nearly one. How's it been overall so far?
2: Oh, it's been, it's been awesome. I would say the last couple of months have been a little bit hard with lack of sleep, but overall it's just, it's just been really fulfilling for both of us to be able to get into the role of, of kind of creating or helping, helping nurture this human to figure out the things that she likes and just to get all of these things that we're getting back from her is just like every day is just, it's awesome. It's really great, and I know my husband. He he has always wanted to be a father, and so it's really awesome for me to be able to see him kind of fulfilling uh, what I think has been his life's purpose. So yeah, it's well, really me too. Awesome. I
3: definitely think that's been my life's purpose. So uh, it's finally here. Uh, we had to wait a while. We struggled to get pregnant, and and uh, it has been an, a, an incredible ride so far. And we love uh, the challenges that we over- come up with every day and the new surprises and just the the fun, you know, seeing that new spirit and her letting us, you know, know who she is versus us trying to raise her to tell her how to be and who to be um, both with gender and equality in our society with feminism um, is really important to us. so So it's awesome to be able to you know, put into practice some of our our learned knowledge and uh, being open to always learning and trying new things.
1: I think, like for me, that kind of that kind of sums up like what feminist parenting is about um, nurturing them to be who they want to be and not prescribing anything. Um, how would you define feminist parenting?
2: Uh, I guess I would. I would define it as, um, I guess, creating space for your child to become the person they are um, in a safe place that's not um, not directly, uh, I guess, yeah, not directly like prescribed from our culture. So creating a space for them to really be able to nurture themselves and become the person that they're going to be without um, without assuming anything and without, um, I don't know, without diminishing who they are, because they clearly tell you who they are. And I mean, ours is almost one and she's, she, every single day, she has new things about her that just, it surprises us. And it's, um, it's nothing that when she was first born, she knows they're just like a, they're just like a little, little lump of baby. They don't really do it. (laughs) Things. Yeah, oh. <laughs> and you do everything for them. And then eventually you start to get all of this these things back from them and you get to see their preference. You get to start to see their personality. She's, she's so goofy and I love that. And you know, we're goofy so we can tell that that kind of has helped her to be able to express that a lot. But um, you know, when she was even younger than she is now she was always loud and we always just really encouraged her to do whatever she wants that makes her happy, and I think there's a lot of parents like when their kids loud that they freak out and they're like, oh my god, they're being loud and it's stressful. And it's like every time she was loud, we we were like, awesome, like you are practice, you're using your voice, <laughs> She's you know, a strong like strong communicator. Yeah, and so it's like taking yeah, those... <laughs> yeah, yeah no,
1: comes up in our house a lot is actually this morning was saying that um, Ellie has good leadership skills. Yes.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> rather yeah. than using rather than using the phrase bossy, which I really don't like, mm-hmm. is we're saying, great leadership there, Eleanor. Love it. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: yeah. I think too when you're able to do that and really let let them express themselves how they're ready to express themselves and kind of adjust your expectation of of them um, it's actually more fun anyways um, you get yeah. there's less disappointment for the parents you know because you're like oh this is who you are right now this is what you need right now and when you you parent that way to me I think it's a lot more fun because because anytime like the sleep stuff you know anytime that I'm expecting something different and I am am trying to m- make that happen it's harder and it's it's harder for me it's harder for her and if I can adjust in a way that allows her to to get through the things that she needs to and express the things that she needs to, then I'm I'm able to enjoy it more, and so is she.
3: So, yeah. well, and also feminist yeah. <clears throat> feminist parenting is also, mm-hmm. I would say, not uh, necessarily sticking to assigned gender roles and what society would identify your role at home to be. Um, I work during the day, so I get to stay at home with my daughter most of the day while she's doing graphic design and, you know, I get to do laundry and cook and clean. These are things that I've always done and that's part of who I am and that's part of the things that make me happy and I'm good at and a lot of people in our society, I don't know how it is there, but definitely here put me down and would make fun of me and tease me for being emotional and Um, effeminate or whatever the different things, having my unicorn collection, you know, I mean, just, Mm -hmm. it just never ends. It's always something, right? So, so I really want to raise Laura to be, you know, strong and confident, know that she has uh, allies and is, you know, not just a girl, you know, she is whoever she says she is. And I'm going to teach her to speak up and speak out for those that don't have a voice and who aren't as safe as she is and encouraged to, speak their truths so you know that's just my mission is to to make sure that she sees two parents that love each other yeah you know sometimes don't always agree but you know deeply you know love each other and have very different roles you know she's the one making books and you know and and doing art and you know it's amazing and and I cannot wait for her to grow up and and see all the things that we both do so you know very non-traditional in my opinion and that's just that's how I like it. You know, I think we should all try and not fit into boxes, but to find where we belong and how we belong. Mm -hmm.
1: So we've got the census periodically and the results were released earlier this year from the census last year. And it was saying like one of the questions on there was about how much non paid, like cleaning or domestic work you do. And they found that even in households, where there were a male and a female were a couple and they were both working full time that the woman still did at least three times the amount of housework that the men did.
3: Come on. I know.
1: It's also um, when asked where the way that the question is asked,
3: it Mm -hmm. was,
1: it was like, how much housework do you do? Mm -hmm. And we were sitting there doing the census and, um, and I was like, At the time, I wasn't working outside the home, so mine was like 15 hours a week or something like that. And I turned to my partner, Alex, and I said, oh, so, you know, how many hours do you think you do? And he was like, oh, probably about the same. And I was like,
3: "Mm -mm." Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: I know mine's not the same. He definitely does more. He definitely does more. My number is not the same.
1: We've got, like, um, assigned tasks. So I always do the laundry, but he will always do all the cooking. So it's, like, kind of feels roughly even-ish. But it's very set roles. But, you know, it's one of those things that we really try really hard Mm -hmm. um i'm just like not a gardening type of person and so i'm not really interested in mowing the lawn or cleaning a barbecue or anything like that but if i'm consistently not participating in those activities am i accidentally showing our kids
2: that that's something that a dad does and only a dad does
3: absolutely that's something that we discuss all the time
2: yeah i think yeah i think for sure in in any um shared duties there should be I mean I, I think there are partners who have more time to do some of those things and that's that's okay to have a little bit leaning but I think in any relationship there should be um somewhat of a more even split and you know there's something that we're still working through trying to figure out and yeah. and it's not yeah. even exactly right now but I I do think that you know if we go too far one way with it with anything, we we basically create a gender stereotype on the other side. So, um, so you know, I think kids pick up on all those kinds of things, and it's it's fair to say that we all need to do a little bit more of different things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's interesting that you say about um, mm-hmm. changing the stereotype, but there still being a stereotype because. I I was doing this reading and it was talking about how the, the role of the father has changed through texts and it was saying, like, you know, those sitcoms from early 60s might be like, you know, the dad's the breadwinner and comes home and is always very um, efficient and you never saw dad being lazy because dads just weren't lazy and dads were hard workers all the time, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, and then the stereotype has then changed and it brought out Homer Simpson as an example. And it's now this just this useless dad who can't even make a sandwich. And it's like, when did you know men, the men in the men in our lives are certainly not useless? <laughs> when did when did the role I mean
2: mm-hmm.
1: what what have you guys seen in your like in your lifetime in terms of the role of the
2: man? I th- I mean, I think it is. It is always changing. I just as humans, what we do with other people and things is we try to put them into boxes so that we can understand them. That's just that's just how our brains work. And so I, a lot of work that we have to do is try to, you know, call out those boxes as what they are so that we can move outside of them, you know? and it's um it's natural, I think, for us to assume assume some stereotypes in some situations. And, um, yeah, I think as far as like the male role in our, our society, I think it has gone the way that you said, um, you know, gone from a very disconnected father that works super hard and is always, you know, kind of like the champion of the entire household, um, to, to somewhat of a, like a lazy, doesn't really do too much kind of kind of father, but I think it also is is continuing to change and and I see more and more um the the representation of men being more emotionally available, um being being more of an equal partner and being seeing their partners as equal partners. So um, you know, I think it it will always be changing. And it will just uh, be up to all of us to tell the story differently, and you know I think Homer Simpson is maybe a, a bad example only because it's it was meant to be satire and to be something that yeah. was that was you know negative for almost every character in there. <laughs> um, also,
1: Lisa is awesome.
2: Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think it it is always changing, and it just uh, the whatever all of us look at and say that we like, that's what is going to start to become the stereotype.
3: So, well, popular culture is yeah. is you know just a snapshot of what is being represented on TV and magazines, books. I mean, podcasts, the Facebook. It's all you know kind of changing as we speak, as we sit here and have this conversation, you know, it, it, it is fully growing and becoming something new, which people who have a hard time with change become very threatened by and people who uh, are already on the other side of change look back and can't understand why those people don't see what they see as obvious Mm -hmm. Um, in this era of Trumpism and, you know, American politics dominating the world stage uh, there's a lot of swing back from Obama that that we're seeing and you know men behaving badly talking badly toxic masculinity is something that we talk about quite often and it's something you know that's very personal to me I mean I had three dad I have three dads and I I had a very eclectic upbringing of traditionalism uh abandonment and, you know, just absenteeism um, from, you know, different different time periods of my life. So I had always a, you know, what I didn't want to be kind of an example instead of what I did want to be. And um, for me personally, being a feminist is always, you know, that understanding that I was a feminist took years, but I've always felt that way. I've always seen the inequality in um, my universe and how I perceive it um, my greatest uh, role model growing up was my great-grandmother and she was a Rosie Riveter type she built oh, yeah. you know warships and Riveter she was a Riveter in World War II and you know tough as nails and slightly racist and um, loved me you know the, to death um, but I saw in her somebody who wouldn't put up with an abusive husband um, who wouldn't uh, put up with people not pulling their weight around the house and doing things that are you know that you have to do to survive. So So I got to see a pretty strong lady growing up. Um, and that influenced my outlook on how you know women are supposed to be because I didn't I never saw her as she played frisbee with me until she was in her 80s. And yeah. you know, she never led gender stereotypes define her. And you know, I had a lot of questions over my sexuality and how I fit in with the way I was personally as just a little kid. Very sensitive, cried a lot. um, Also very happy. I'm still very much the same way. I do all of those things all the time. And you know, it's just finding a way to fit in with society. And I think feminism is a really amazing tool that we can use to take away a lot of the stigma you know what the kids part's easy it's the parents it's the grandparents it's it's you know understanding how we all fit together in this puzzle because it's really easy to get upset with people when they you know talk about you know why isn't your daughter wearing you know why is she dressed like a boy you know it's like oh I'm sorry I didn't mean to call her a boy it's like it's like dude it's cool she's wearing pants and, a, and a, you know a long sleeve shirt I dressed her I know who she is <laughs> you know it's okay so, you know, I get that all the time. And, you know, some days she does wear pink, frilly little things. If And when she gets old enough to decide that she loves that or doesn't love it, then, you know, we just keep dressing her in everything.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. I actually like when people confuse her for a boy because it gives me a little window back into a place where someone isn't thinking about um, gender fluidity or about... Um, about how to see children as as not what their gender is um so I I like it when people call her a boy because yeah it gives me that window into it and it also sometimes it it allows for a deeper conversation about gender and um, yeah like even a little girl the other day at the park was like uh said something about her being a boy and I was like well actually she's a girl but um, well, the little girl was like, oh, well, she's wearing boy clothes. And I was like, yeah, she kind of, like, sometimes it kind of looks like it can look a little bit like boy clothes, but anybody can wear those. And she was like, yeah, anybody, like, boys can wear girl clothes and girls can wear boy clothes. And, you know, it, it was a very simple conversation and very quick because it was obviously with a stranger and a kid. But the kids are um, brilliant.
3: They get it. They but, absolutely get well, it.
1: I love that. Yeah. Yeah. i to could the all the time. Mm -hmm. with mine, it's like they're not asking this girl at the park when she was Mm -hmm. asking about your daughter being a boy she didn't need to be taught in that moment like probably five years old or something didn't need to be taught well actually you know when we're born doctors assume that you're a girl or a boy and then we all figure (laughs) it out you know they did not need a lecture in gender theory right then (laughs) they just needed you to say well actually sometimes girls can wear pants and boys can wear pink and you know, using putting it in language that is um, at their kind of age, yeah, and then they can get to the theory stuff later. And it's about that kind of equality first of all,
2: yeah. And I think also part of that is not making um, kids feel bad for getting something wrong. I remember being a kid and being terrified to like accidentally call someone who was a boy a girl or the opposite, sure. just because of the the pushback you get of like. Oh my God! I got it wrong, and it's like so bad. I think softening that for for children, so it's like, oh, it's not it's not a big deal either way. Yeah. Like you can get it right, you can get it wrong, and it's still all the same thing. Because
3: they're learning that that mm-hmm. it's a big deal from adults. They're mm-hmm. the ones who are freaking out. They're the ones who are mm-hmm. not able to, you know, appropriately communicate every perfectly every single time, and that's okay. You know, it's it's about having that conversation and being open to the conversation not just being like those people are freaks we don't talk to them you know move on you mm-hmm. know it's a conversation and i i always look for those little moments when you know i think a lot of people i've seen a lot of people get uncomfortable in public like if your kids freaking out it's like dude we get it you know it's okay you don't need to scream at them we want to scream at them, too, but we don't because we're adult humans, and we pick them up, and we take them outside, yeah. and we let them have their emotions, yeah. and then we we help them process that, and that's what we do as look, adults, and we need to do that more for more adults. It's really hard, though.
2: <laughs> I really like there was a saying that was something it about is so hard, <laughs> about providing the – um when they're in chaos, you don't join the chaos. You need to provide calm for them, you know, because whenever – Yes,
1: I love that expression.
2: Yeah. Because whenever they're, they're freaking out, it's usually because they, they have something going on and and you have an opportunity to be the detective and figure out what it is. And it may take a while and it may be every single day and it may be like 10 times a day, but it's important for them because, because if you join their chaos, they just learn that their feelings or the things that was bothering them or whatever is not okay. And most of the time... Yeah you can get to a better place with them just by working through it.
1: Yeah. And if you join the chaos, then you're not showing them a way to work through it. Mm-hmm. You're not showing them a way to come out the other side and process it healthily
2: Yeah, as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I wanted to ask you, um, so you said about your daughter being confused for a boy at the park um, mm-hmm. and that happens my kids literally every single time we go to the park um, <laughs> because Rupert, and he's two, as I said, um, and he wears a lot of hand-me-downs from Ellie. So he wears a lot of pink and a lot of floral and sometimes shock horror. I have actually just bought pink clothes for him because they were really cute. <laughs> um, and it, I saw this quote that was like, well, you know, many people are having more courage these days to raise their daughters more like their sons in terms of letting them do rough and tumble things or climbing a tree or wearing pants or you know all these traditional like boy things um, but few people are having the courage to raise their sons more like their daughters mm-hmm. and with that kind of emotional intelligence and things like that and you know I was wondering if you know that kind of those kind all those kinds of thoughts and feelings is what led you to kind of think about your book feminism is for boys
2: for sure exactly for sure i think um part of what has fed into that idea um you know is that tomboys so girls who who wear boys clothes or do boy things um has kind of been accepted as something cool whereas boys who are feminine yeah has been historically seen as something that was that was wrong with the boy. And um like boys cannot be feminine somehow. Um, and so I think that's where a lot of that that ease for parents who, you know, they when they were kids, so you know, our age when they were kids, they were seeing a lot of that um in the culture that like tomboys is okay, but like feminine boys, like that you will get teased for and it's not okay. Um, so I guess for me, this year. So I came up with a book this this last year after we had our daughter, um, and I came up with the book idea because uh, with our with our daughter we just surrounded ourselves with all of these awesome books about feminism, and um, they are great books. And I think that they can benefit all all children can benefit from having these types of books. But they're largely books about women empowering women. They're about, um, they almost always have female leads, which is awesome. And it's really important because that has been left out in the past. But I think that all of the books that we had, they said feminism and they always had female leads and female characters and, and really celebrated females, which is so good. But I think boys are getting left out of the conversation. And I think that the result of that is that men today, when you say the word feminism, they get scared. It feels like a scary thing. It feels like something they can't connect to, and, and, you know, part of that is just their misconceptions of what feminism actually is. A lot of them believe that it's an anti-man thing. That you know, women who are feminists do not like men, and that men really aren't welcome in it. And it's just such a common misconception that. I felt like there really needed to be something that teaches boys, that that reinforces to boys that there's this word out there, and it means equality, and equality is for all genders, and that you are welcome in that, and not only are you welcome in that, but you have benefits from this. If we can reach true equality, you won't have these types of stereotypes that are holding you back from being able to express yourself however you want or holding back you know, other men and I think so creating this book for me was to was bringing those ideas together making sure that the word feminism and boy is seen together and that it's okay to be together and it's great to be together and that you know there's a whole host of of things that is going to benefit those um those boys in in true equality for our culture well, so, and, and
3: just not those boys the you know the young men and and my daughter will be playing with and going to school coming up I mean Absolutely. they're they're her allies they're her partners they're gonna be her adversaries in a way that challenge her to grow and be more than you know what we expect of her which is just to just be happy and you know thrive as much as she can um, you know I don't I don't hang out with a lot of men I do have very good men friends. Um, but I still have a hard time relating to to them in a normal, traditional guy to guy way, um, and that's uh, that's okay. I see things a little bit differently. You know, I see feminism as being uh, something that that men desperately need. Uh, it's not, you know, feminism is, isn't. It isn't pie. You're not taking, you know, rights away from somebody you know you're there everybody's getting the same amount of pie it's just you know that people need to know that you know they're not you're not being attacked you're not being your masculinity isn't being threatened you're um you're you're you know you're not a bad person if you don't understand or don't like feminism right now that's okay and Mm -hmm. and that's really what the book is about it's just it's just a primer it's just saying hey you know you're gonna grow up and decide who you wanna be, but here's here's what we think you know this word means, and you can join along and you know go for the ride with us. Mm-hmm.
1: So I've seen the book.
3: Mm-hmm. I
1: got to see I got to see a little advanced copy, very exciting. <laughs> um, so it's a it's a beautiful book and congratulations on it. It's excellent. Thank you. Um and I read it when we were in sydney a couple of weeks ago and i just sat there and just read it and then i immediately closed it and then reread it again because i was like that's just it. i i found it just really simply brilliant because it was just like boys are this and boys are this and this is all the different ways to be a boy mm-hmm. um and you know was it so how many so there's 10 different images is that right
2: uh, I think there are twelve spreads total. So, about- How, was it difficult to choose? Was it difficult to choose which?
1: You know, because I mean, it could have been thirty pages long. Like, yeah. you know, was it difficult that- to whittle down to those twelve attributes?
2: Uh, yeah, it was. It was, and it wasn't. I think part part when I first started, there was there was many more um, possible spreads. And the way I whittled it down really was, uh, first of all, if I thought I could visually represent it well for a child, um, but then also if I thought that I could make it simple enough and not um, not exclude anybody or have any negativity. Because I wanted to make sure it was a really positive book too, uh, partly because I do, I do feel m- men get the message from feminism Um, oftentimes in a negative way. And so I wanted it to just focus on positivity, focus on um, different types of boys that it could be. Um, And, you know, that one, that one, I ended up using four spreads for the different types of boys. And I thought that was really important because the four that I chose, I felt really represented a wide range of different types of boys. And that most commonly, you could show this book to any boy, and there would at least be one of those four boys that he was like, I do that, or I really like that, and then maybe the other spreads would be a conversation piece. You know, there's one with a boy in a dress. I really hope, even for for girls who have this book, which I think it could be very beneficial for them as well, to see boys wearing a dress and have a conversation about it, you know, Yeah, it it helps to to normalize it. Part actually on that spread for a while, um, I played with the idea of adding more boys to that page to show different types of fashion. Um, But every time, I felt like it really drew away from the idea that this boy was wearing a dress because I think some people might see that spread and see another boy wearing something else and be like, oh well, that's the boy and this is the girl and they're just on this spread together, but I wanted it to be very clear. Now this boy's wearing a dress and that needs to be a conversation piece because, because like you said earlier, that is something that people really struggle with is allowing boys to be feminine and feminine. And especially in that way, like wearing, wearing girls clothing or wearing girls, you know, in quotes, clothing. Something that people think
1: is just for girls or.
2: Right. exactly, Yeah.
1: yeah it's, it's yeah, it's tough. I, I really liked, actually, that page was definitely a talking point because I was staying with my mother-in-law at the time.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so it was definitely a talking point because I showed it to her. And, yeah. um, you know, we had a bit of a chat about, oh, fashion isn't just dresses. So, yeah. um, you know, and it it was really interesting to have that discussion because I was kind of like oh, you know, I'll have to chat to Elizabeth about this and decide and see why she chose that particular type of fashion. Yeah. Um,
2: Uh, Yeah, I also, you know, um, I also chose the word fashion because originally I had said, you know, some feminist boys like to wear dresses. I actually said the word dresses. And for me, that actually wasn't inclusive enough. So I wanted to say fashion. So that it spread to the idea of like, maybe you really are into shoes, you know, maybe you're really into hats or maybe you're really into like track suits. I don't know. There could be a million different ways to interpret fashion. Um, but visually, I wanted nice. to make sure that dresses was kind of pedestaled, you know, from the
3: rest. So. And, and to like you said, to have that conversation, it. Mm-hmm. For it being, you know, a primary, you know, book uh, for somebody who's very young, I mean, here as adults having like real conversations about what fashion means and this world and to boys. And that's exactly why we made this book, you know, you don't have to wear a dress to be a boy and be in fashion. You can, Mm -hmm. you know, you can be country and still like rock and roll. You know, you can, Mm -hmm. you can do all these different things, you know, nobody's putting any labels on you and whoever you are is beautiful. So,
2: um, and then, so the, the next part of the book is exploring emotions. And that was a big one, uh, as well that I, I spent three spreads on because, um, you know, when, when we were coming up with the book, a lot of what I wanted to do was represent when I, when I think of Russell as a child and the things that he was denied, um, we wanted those things to be represented in this book. And so, one of a huge one of those things is was emotions and being able to really be be connecting positively to the emotions that you're feeling, Um, and not
3: just positive emotions either. Exactly, connecting positively to negative emotions as something that is both healthy and and understandable. You have Mm -hmm. a right to be sad, to be angry, to be frustrated, and and when the more we tell you know, young men and young women that they're not allowed to have those feelings, the more that they're repressed and the more that they, you know, have, you know, illnesses psychologically and physically, you know, I mean, we need to strip away the stigma behind, you know, anger and, and these other, you know, emotions that are difficult to talk about. And we just yell at our kids for, (laughs) I got yelled at a lot. I don't know if I mentioned that, but, but it's uh, (laughs) a, It wasn't, it wasn't always fun. I mean, I was a very happy kid, but I felt like, you know, the world was just, the universe was just constantly trying to beat the kid out of me. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I was able to revolt and hold on because I saw what was trying to, what they were trying to do and I didn't like it. Um, but yeah, it was really important that, that emotions be featured here for, for, you know, young men maybe have never seen another young man cry, you know, or maybe a little girl's never seen a young boy cry, you know, I mean, my daughter's gonna grow up watching me weep, you know, rivers at every Disney movie that ever is on. <laughs> always, doesn't matter. I can see The Lion King five thousand yeah. times and I mean if somebody doesn't up, cry
1: at a Disney film, if somebody doesn't cry at a Disney film, then I mean that's an immediate no no to me. It's like do you have yeah. a soul if you don't cry at a Disney yeah. film right now?
3: Exactly. Yeah.
1: And Dick Dory, the new one, oh my god, I can't. I just I cried the whole time.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, um so I mean obviously we met through Instagram and you've got a quite a thriving feminism is for boys community there. What's what's that been like taking the book out to out of your house and out of your own hands, you know, what's the reception been like so far?
2: Yeah. Uh it's been so good and you know, I wasn't I wasn't really expecting anything to be honest i was creating this book because of my passion and what i i wanted to bring to it and i thought it i thought it might do do well as far as like the messaging um but you know i've only had the instagram account for a couple of months and we have like 540 (laughs) followers right now and you know it's growing it's growing pretty quickly in in my view of like i had no idea um yeah, excellent it would go this quickly. and and, you know, some people are like, "Oh, you should get those bots and just get a bunch of followers. But I haven't done that. Um, and I don't want to do that because the way that I've built it so far is is by meaningful interactions, you know, when people when people comment on my things, I'm able to comment back. When people follow me, I almost always check out their accounts and see what they're doing and, you know, comment on something of theirs or like theirs. And it's time consuming, but it's awesome. It makes me, it makes me feel like um i'm i might make a little bit of a difference for somebody out there you know well,
3: and she's she's already making friends with trolls i mean it's amazing <laughs> no. the negativity people want to bring That's to the table yeah um, and, and every time um, she, she takes it as an opportunity to reach out and to express who she is and what this means instead of just being like well, you've yet again proven our point, which is what I always say. So yeah, so she does a really good job engaging them, and I think it's yeah. pretty awesome I, to see.
2: I really enjoy it. Um, not not the fact that they, you know, are trolling necessarily, but that I'm given an opportunity to, to keep my cool and respond to them in a way that I think is healthy and might soften their view, not change it. I don't think that Instagram necessarily is a place that I'm going to um, – completely alter someone's ideas but I might give them something new to think about and um and that's fun for me. I like I I really enjoy doing that. And yeah, and so mainly right now I've been focusing on the Instagram account just because you know, I was putting it out there just kind of seeing what was going to happen 2 months ago is when I decided I was going to publish the book, so I just thought I'd I just start throwing some of the ideas out there and it's just been going so well. It's just been, um, awesome. And it really fulfilling for me, um, not only just as a feminist, but as a designer as well. Um, you know, I don't often get to do completely my own projects and, and a lot of times they don't always get to match up so well with my ideology. So it's really cool to see those kind of, those two things combined together and then have it be, um, taken really well is it's fun.
1: This is your first book.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: And, you know, are you planning any more yet?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I have a couple ideas of maybe where we should go next. Um, part of that, you know, we, we actually brainstormed a whole list of, of a million things. And this was kind of the one that I landed on because I felt like right now in this, this climate – culturally for us, it was the most important book to get out. Um, but yeah, we have some other ideas. I think one one thing that's kind of floating around is um, being able to help kids understand what the word feminism means. Um, I haven't really seen a whole lot of that. It's more of just like pushing the ideology of it, and, which is great. But I think having maybe a more of like a exploratory book for kids to hear the word and what it means um would be a really cool next step for us but we also have the whole this whole list of like really fun ideas uh but yeah we'll just kind of see we're really gonna see how this does just because (laughs) it's new for us you know we we really have a big investment in it and we want to see if we can get it to all pan out this is i'm not fully self publishing but i'm kind of doing the hybrid version where i have a publisher that that will help me get into bookstores and do some of the marketing and stuff. Um, but largely, it's going to be on on our shoulders to make this happen. So we're going to see how this year goes. Mm-hmm. And then if it goes well, maybe we'll explore getting one of those other ones
3: out. I want to see some more feminism uh, for Young Moon books, but I also want to see some uh, some non-gendered uh, books for for the next phase mm-hmm. of Alora's life. I, I mean, obviously, we're enamored with with where she is right at right now at one, but, uh, you know, she's not going to be one forever, and she's already walking and talking, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I really want to have uh, engagement throughout the age groups and the learning uh, curves that come within that, so... Um, I would just, I, I can't wait to see, you know, the response we've gotten from this has been incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, the community that she's built is really beautiful. And, and uh, I'm just glad to be a part of it. And I cannot wait to see where it goes. Mm-hmm.
1: Obviously, I have to ask you, because you both mentioned it about the culture, the climate in the US at the moment. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, calling yourself a feminist, and living, you know, living these values, you know, mm. what is that like in the U.S. at the moment? Because it seems like here we're hearing another new
2: horrible thing
1: from yeah. this administration every day, practically. I mean, you know, yeah, what is it like?
3: It's brutal. It's brutal. It's um depressing, and uh, unsettling, and uh, concerning. You know i have family members who are trump supporters i have uh friends that you know are trump supporters and and i have family that has immigrated here you know from south america and mexico and you know europe i mean my family only came here you know three four generations ago uh on one side and i think you know two on the other so i mean there's like there's, it's still a place where you're not really from here unless you're a native. And unfortunately, we did terrible things to their culture too. So, mm-hmm. so, um, where we live in Oregon, in Portland, on the West Coast, probably one of the most liberal cities, uh, full of art and beauty. Um, and and we're lucky to live here, but it is, uh, if it would, if Portland wasn't here. Oregon would be a red state. It wouldn't just be red Washington is- and California. And red being- is
2: Republican for Trump. I don't know if everybody mm-hmm. knows that, but yeah, yes, it's the
1: opposite here. It's the opposite in Australia. Red is left wing and blue is right wing.
3: <laughs> so it's <Wow>. the- Yeah. <laughs> I can see how that gets. So red- yes. <laughs> yeah, so red here,
1: red is the Labour Party, which is well, center left. And um, same in the UK, the Labour Party is centre-left and it's yeah. red. Yeah, so it's opposite. Whenever I'm watching, you know, reruns of the West Wing and I'm like, hold on, wait, <laughs> blue is the good one yeah. now, yeah. right?
3: <laughs> we love West Wing and Aaron Sorkin too, yeah. so totally. Yeah, <laughs> I
2: think I think overall the climate right now politically is, is devastating. It is hard to turn on the TV and hear there is a new thing every day. You're not just hearing that and thinking maybe they're overreacting on your side. There it's the is, same, it's the there's same here. There's a brand new thing every single day and, and new ways to feel disappointed every day. Um, but I think there's some good and there's some bad to it. It's really polarizing the sides. It's really polarizing, you know, it's pushing people who are more liberal and and want to get out of this to be more loud about their... About their beliefs, you know. It's it made me make a book, you know. Like, <laughs> I, am, I am. We're getting pushed further and further to each side, and it's very, it's hard because it's not it's not a normal presidency, and it's not just a normal like Republicans versus Democrats. It's become, it's become something much more toxic, and um, and it's hard. It's also, it's very. It's providing an opportunity for us to really change things. It's bringing light to things that are that have been there. They've just been at bay. you know those things have been now created into this giant monster. they were always sitting there waiting and now they're just out in the open. so it's it's almost like we have this bigger opportunity to really really um, change those, big, bad things that were just sort of hiding in the shadows, you know?
3: It's hard, though, because, you know, for a long time, I think a lot of people who uh, weren't racists, weren't bigots, weren't, you know, spreading hate uh, felt like things were getting better, you know, felt like their families that, you know, have, you know, transgender rights and, and gay rights. I mean, there's still these crazy struggles that we've been going through like the kids bathrooms and you know gender identity assignments and so all these things that just you know seem like that's not really that big a deal well when you live in Texas and you're you know you're the odd one out by you know you're outnumbered a thousand to one uh it becomes really real for that person and that's why we you know we have laws to protect people who are minorities and who aren't disenfranchised and you know I will continue as long as I am able to stick up for people that that don't have the same voice that I do. I know what my white privilege is and that is to the be the ability to say whatever I want with almost zero repercussions. And unfortunately, we've all learned that that's not the case and and people I feel I have a hard time with people who haven't learned that lesson yet because I feel like they're just putting their head in the sand, but luckily I have such a balancing person in my life who feels the same way, I think, about 99% of the stuff that I do, who helps me process it in a more healthy way as far as dialogue and, you know, processing those, that fear and that anger mm-hmm. and understanding that it is all temporary mm-hmm. and the pendulum that we had on one side with Obama and has swung all the way over with Trump will swing back again. And, and you know, the light isn't gone. It's just being attacked and that is part of what this great experiment is mm-hmm. so it's depressing it's disenchanting but at the same time i think it's going to be pretty empowering i think there's going to be a lot more women in sure. in our in our public service That's there's good. a wave of mm-hmm. feminism and and female rights and equality that is going to probably Gonna impact us more than Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court. Like it's gonna outlast his the rest of his life and go in there. That's how big of a change has been made on on in 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 our society from from women and disenfranchised people. So mm-hmm. so we don't see it yet, but it's coming, and and it's gonna be beautiful. And you know mm-hmm. we just gotta we gotta vote and we gotta keep trying and we gotta believe and, that we can do this together.
2: Yeah, and I think the one of the main big positive things out of this is that it's um, allowing a lot of people who were quietly feminists or quietly liberals um, to be loud and proud of what they are and to be, you know, to try and and to openly say where they stand on things, because it's important. It's important for them to share, and it's important that for others to know where they stand. Um, because i think that's that's how we all develop change as we see how something can work and we and the more we see it and the more it's around us the more it can make sense to us and a lot of times when i think about the people on the other side and some of the terrible beliefs that they have i also remember that that is they are the product of the culture that they were raised in and that i don't see them necessarily as inherently bad. They've just had, they've just gone down a path and they were brought there by the people that were around them. And if we, if we push them down that path and we keep pushing them to that path, they will stay on that path forever. But if we try to bridge between the paths and, you know, help, help them grow as people and help, uh, help them see other things that we also grow as people and we, we will eventually come to something that's even better than what we had before so
1: um i think when i i had i think i've always been a feminist but definitely felt like i could use that word a lot more i read something that was like you know in the 90s they weren't allowed feminism in the 90s they had girl power mm-hmm. but now we're allowed to actually say the word feminism and i think definitely since because so I, ellie is three and a half nearly. And that kind of realization that, you know, if the people on the other side, like you said, if they're a product of their culture, then, oh my God, my job as a parent is literally the most important thing I will ever do. Because mm-hmm. I'm making, we are making the next generation.
3: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, and that so, gives a lot of pride in, in in what I do. You know, I mean, I really feel like this is what I was made for. I mean, I've always kind of known it, but until you have kids, you're like, you know, maybe I'll suck at this, you know, and it's like, <laughs> "Oh god, no, I am I'm great at this. I am a really good dad." Yeah. The, the idea is to just always, you know, not just get complacent, but to just keep trying and you know you're going to make mistakes and know that you're going to lose your cool, and know that you're going to, you know, struggle with certain things more than others and you know, being being lucky enough to be in a great relationship and being a pe- co-parent is being able to, you know, get help when you need it and, you know, split up those, the host challenges and, you know, some days is not your day. So lean on, lean on the other person and let them take the, the lead. <laughs>
0: So that was Elizabeth and Russell Rhodes. Elizabeth's book, Feminism is for Boys, is available for pre-order now. I'll pop the link in the show notes. To continue the conversation about anything we've raised in the show, head on over to the Future Feminists Instagram. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, have fun smashing the patriarchy.